Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point, wow. The fates, the gods are with the gods. And the footy god, she said, they shall pod week in and week out from January through to September and whence the grand final is come, the potting can cease and the potters can take leave from their omens and their soapboxes. And so the potters shall rest and finally clean thine houses and introduce themselves unto their friends and their family who have been frozen out by virtue of not being potters. (laughs) The day is nigh. The final pod has come. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. We are on the eve of grand final. It is so exciting. I'm Emma Race. I'm Kate Sear. I'm Lucy Race. I'm Nicole Hayes. I'm Alicia Sometimes. And I'm Caroline Wilson. (laughs) You girls. I love it when you say that. You girls. I never know if we're in trouble or in the good books. How are you, Caro? I always think of that mother from Mean Girls, you know, that dreadful, oh, you girls, you keep me young, which I say to my daughter a lot and she gets very embarrassed. I love Mean Girls reference straight up in the great pod. Film. Great yeah. film. Yeah. Great. It's a great film. Okay, let's talk about, um, we're so pleased that you're here and we are going to be talking to you about your um, going to be delivering the Andrew Ollie lecture, which is such an honour and a privilege to be asked and they couldn't have chosen a better person to do it. We are looking forward to speaking to you about it throughout the next um, hour or so, but we want to kick it off with some actual hardcore footy chat. Is that all right with you? Yes, it's a little bit tough this week for people who grew up loving Richmond. It was one of the more dreadful games, losses, I think I can remember in my half a century, really, of supporting the Richmond Football Club. How do you approach that, Caro? When you go to a game like that one, do you, you just go as a footy fan and forget all the other stuff that you do in football and just yeah, feel I it did. like a footy fan? I, I did on Friday night because we were guests. We went to the MCC committee room. I did feel a bit sick all day. I woke up at 4am that morning. The first thing that came into my mind was Brody Grundy. No kidding. <laughs> wow. I just, I'm so worried about Brody Grundy. He was so good <laughs> at the last time. And... Um, yeah, so it was a bit of a feeling of foreboding. I was with my husband, who is not Richmond, he's Essendon. He probably wanted Richmond to win because Essendon people mm. hate Collingwood. But um, <laughs> uh, it was everybody. It was like it was surreal, really. I mean, mm. for a month after the grand final last year, I woke up not believing they'd won the flag. I'm still waking up not being able to believe that they're not playing in the grand mm. final and that they lost. And the only sort of some people found this tougher, but I found it easier. 
after 15 minutes, you just knew it was all over. What it wasn't like you had any, even in the last quarter. To me, it was just completely too late. They were terrible. Did Melbourne capitulating the following yeah. day, did that ease the pain at all? Because it kind of distracted. It was like a TENS machine. If yeah. anyone yeah. knows what I'm talking about, yeah. it took the pain away a little bit. Maybe, to, to, be honest, to be honest, that's true because I do have a lot of Melbourne supporting friends who I really like, but they were getting a little bit annoying and they <laughs> were rather disrespecting Richmond, as it turns out, rightly so. But um, it, that was, I mean, what was a really disappointing mm. weekend mm-hmm. for your, you know, non-aligned footy fan. If you didn't barrack for either any of the teams, I mean, wow. It was, uh, yeah. Saturday was just... It they was, were woeful. Well, it was. It's it, so I hard to it, get a gear on who's going to win the premiership yeah, because yeah. neither team was really tested. tested. I, mm-hmm. I suppose Collingwood more so because Richmond did rally briefly and they mm-hmm. had every answer. And they were playing a team who had beaten them, mm-hmm. you know, pretty well in the well, not the last time it was close to a three quarter time. And and Collingwood, I think, dismantled Richmond with a brilliant game plan, a great coaching performance. But yes, I think Essendon was worse. But Gee, it was Melbourne, bad, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, Melbourne, yeah. Yeah. Melbourne was much worse. Alicia, you live in a Collingwood house. How's I that going? Do. That was pretty exciting. I mean, it's funny because I have a lot of Richmond supporter friends, and they just said to me that day, "It's I don't know. I've got a bad feeling about this." And a lot of Collingwood supporters were just so excited. So our household, we were jumping up and down on the couch. <laughs> we were very excited. I wanted them to win. And Mason Cox, just what a revelation! And who knew he'd be such a good tweeter this year? (laughs) Who knew Richmond would make him look like John Coleman? Exactly. Playing injured players, girls. I mean, I I walked with my friend this morning. You might have heard of Anna from the op shop. (laughs) She's still angry. I mean, she's still smarting at Dusty being selected, at Asprey being selected when he was sick. There were some clear selection mistakes. You know, they'll get around each other and they'll rally because that's the way Richmond has become. And I feel the club is in good hands, but it will always be the golden opportunity loss. I reckon nothing against Collingwood, but it will be. Here's a question without notice. Brendan Gale is an excellent um, per- footy person. Yep. Is it true, or do you have the mail on this, that he may be looked at as being the next AFL CEO? Oh, without question. Yep. I mean, I, I think that um, there is no doubt. I mean, he went for the job last time. He got down to the last three, although everyone felt that Gillan McLaughlin was a lay down Mazaire. And it, it, my inside info is Brendan didn't give a great interview. But And Brian Cook, of course, the other candidate, went in and told the AFL Commission that they needed a bit of culture and they needed to have some sort of um, mandate or reason for being that they don't have at the moment. So some commissioners loved it. Most of them were insulted. Brendan <laughs> didn't really give the best interview and Gillen was yeah, really a lay down, Mazir, as I said. So this time around, given everything Brendan Gale has done, I mean, look, he's a former player, former head of the AFL Players Association. He's lifted a team that was a complete no-hoper for so many decades to where they are now. And he's a great presenter. You know, he's tall. I mean, he looks like an AFL CEO. Tall. <laughs> he's Being tall. Tall, tall well, drink of water. Is it, tall, good I hate it, to say it, but, you know, it, it does help. Is, <laughs> it, is there talk, though, that, I mean, Gil has not had a great year. Is there talk about movement, do you think? Um, at the start of the year, there was talk that Gillen had had enough. I mean, he'd been hounded in a, in a pretty nasty campaign, really, by the Herald Sun. And he was he was just jack of it. He wasn't prepared. And I think the the um, the sex scandal really undid him quite emotionally, quite mm. brutally, because he was he's such a good old bloke, and they, and he is a good bloke. And these were his great friends, and so they'd let him down. But he was shattered that he had to sack them. You know, blah blah blah. I think he'd had enough. I think he's revi- He's 
revitalised. Now, certainly Steve Hocking coming in has helped do that. And I think Steve Hocking is another one who might be down the track, you know, CEO material. But yeah, no, I think he, I thought he might go at the end of this year. Now I don't. Steve Hocking, of course, Carrie, you mentioned he's in charge of AFLW or he has a, a serious role in AFLW. That's how? gone well this year, hasn't it? <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, how have you seen the first couple of seasons of the AFLW? How do you assess it? And what do you think needs to happen going forward to, to well, improve that competition? We're, we're at the crossroads, clearly. And uh, I mean, you, you can only say it's gone backwards in year two in so many ways. As we sit here today, a few days after the VFLW grand final, it wasn't televised on Channel 7. That decision was still up in the air 10 days before the grand final. I mean, how does that happen? Um, we had the obviously that wonderful what started as an exhibition game over the bye round. One of the reasons they promoted the bye round initially was to have this women's exhibition game. Last year it became Victoria v the Allies. Mm. The AFL cracked it because it wasn't a good game and they cancelled that. So there were two great opportunities. We just haven't heard enough from Nicole Livingston, Nicole Stevenson, I don't think, as the new front man for the, woman for the organisation. And I believe there is a genuine attempt at top office level to divide the pioneers with the newcomers mm. because they don't like the pioneers. They are angry that the pioneers are trying to stay to the original game they always played. They want Steve Hawking wants modified rules. He wants to reshape the entire competition. I think the younger players are probably a bit more amenable to that than the older players. And I think there's this sort of attitude now from many um in the industry that it's like the Empress New Clothes. Everyone is pretending it's a good game. It hasn't been a good game. Now, I feel that there have been some really good games, there have been some bad games. Uh, the whole thing was talked down after round one this year when they put out that memo mm. and said that, you know, you need to coach differently. I think the Collingwood and Carlton coaches didn't do themselves any favours. But to make that public, when there was one shocking game and the rest of that round was pretty good. Mm. So I, I'm and, – and the Players Association – are about to do a deal. I think Channel 7 will pay this year or next year for the rights to televise, but that's still coming and the women are saying, give us a vision. They still mm. don't have that vision. Mm. There's, it's such a symbiotic relationship between media and football, um, you know, that they feed off each other. Yep. Do you think that that limits a lot of the vision in terms of, of, of what something can be, that if – you know, say with the AFLW, the more games that the teams play, they're going to get better and better and better. But if it's always wedded to television rights, is that that's kind of like a big sea anchor that's going to stop it from having that development? Look, look, I agree with you, but you talk to Gillen and he is emphatic that the minute you give away the opportunity to televise every single game, you lose something. Mm. I just think this is a template for a whole new competition. Why not try something different? And they did it with the women's BBL and Channel 10 with, with cricket. I mean, cricket just, it's one thing cricket has done really well over the last five, six years. And next year, they've reshaped the whole season. And I think they are looking at a new season for the women too. Mm -hmm. There's a real push to start it over the bye round and then continue it, give it clean air, as they call it, October, November. Carrie, do you get tired of people, um, of it, women in football being a novelty? How do, where does that sit with you? Do you really think that's still the case? I do. Yeah, I yeah. do. I feel like, I mean, there's so many events that are women in football and it's so specific where I think it could just be a gen, gen, people who like football, the end. But I feel like there's still a conversation around how amazing it is that women are in football or people who work in football who are women. But you must, 
I always assume you must tire of that. It, well, it becomes more normal every year. I think because in my role, to be honest, it has, me being a woman is no longer really a talking point. Mm. I mean, you know, we've talked about it before, ladies, but obviously there have been times when I think gender politics has affected me. But in, in general terms... It never even occurs to me now often when I'm at a press conference and I look around and there are no other women. I'm just, it's not even something that surprises me. There's definitely, there are definitely more women working in the industry now and that's been one great plus from the AFLW. I mean, look at you guys, you know. When we first met, you know, <laughs> you were a cottage industry. Now yeah. we're sitting in the smart Smith and Span ABC <laughs> studios. And, well, that's not, a, that's not, an ins- no, that's not no, meant to be. No, it's not. It's true. Um, Look, there's Indigenous round. Do we need Indigenous round? I mean, it's sort of similar really, isn't it? Um, that still means that they're a minority group. Is, is celebrating the smaller group a bad thing? I'm not too sure about that. I certainly applaud what Fox Footy have done with more women's shows. Long way to go. Mm-hmm. And a lot of still very blokey, silly things that happen on that, on that network. But um, I, I just think it just takes so long. It just takes mm. so long and, and it's getting better and I, I tend to try and be positive about it. Mm. You do. But I, can, but I can tell that you don't agree. You well, think just, no, it, I love disagreeing with you. <laughs> mostly, mostly not when you're in the room though. <laughs> no, I'm just curious. I find sometimes I think when I'm watching you on um, Footy Classified, sometimes I I don't want to say it's gendered, but sometimes I think that you I feel like there's a different body language when people are getting their back up about something you're saying. And I'm wondering, you know, when you're in the room at the Brownlow and you've gone someone or you've written something that they don't like, yep. do you feel that you get treated the same way that they don't that they're pushing back on that story that you've written in the same way as they do um, male journalists? Oh, no, I, I don't think that's any different. It was quite funny walking into the Brownlow on Monday night because, of course, Brendan and I ended up behind the Adelaide blokes, Andrew Fagan, the CEO, who I've been critical of, and Don <laughs> Pike, who I've mm. been really critical of <laughs> and the way they responded to the grand final loss. And he gave me a curt nod and Andrew Fagan was polite. I mean, I think actually they're more likely in those situations to be polite to you because you're a woman. But I certainly, oh, look, the stuff on Classified, it's... Um, I, I just reckon it. Uh, people like Barry Cassidy, who I really respect, always say to me, listen, the fact that you're on that show is such a win for you and for women. And that's the overriding thing that you should remember. But even on Monday night, or Tuesday night, when Eddie Maguire mm. was on, and I said, you know, the article you lifted out that I wrote from last year, that I had written so much positive stuff about Nathan Buckley. I campaigned for him to keep his job. And this young producer said, yeah, well, um, they did tell me to have a look and it did take me about half an hour to actually find something <laughs> negative. Exactly. So oh, that's, wow. you know, that's disappointing. But, hey, it's the end of the season. I'm just feeling a bit, you know. Too tired to fight back. Back, you know, I'm talking about, you know, the, the change in Collingwood. Over the years, I would imagine that you've seen lots of trends come and go in footy and through footy clubs. And we're really seeing the rise of the... Um, the authentic and and a lot of love and sticking fat and beards and (laughs) and and we're hearing love a lot more um there's been a lot of talk about collingwood modeling themselves on richmond are you seeing that trend and they actually did it on the ground too didn't they they i mean they beat richmond at their own game in many ways look it is quite funny i agree and even in the way richmond cope with defeat people kept saying people keep saying to us 
Damien Hardwick spoke so well and the way the players all sort of embraced each other and got around mm. each other and we're like, we want to bag them, we're furious. <laughs> the old footy supporter comes out, which, you know, of course we still love them, but, you know, there is a bit of why did you play so badly. It's unbelievable this getting up and talking about your feelings. It is unbelievable <laughs> how it's worked for it's Richmond and how change. Adelaide went the opposite way mm. and how embarrassed they are by what they did and the way they treated their players. I just want to know as someone who's been to a Brownlow um, and spent the whole night there. Several brown, many, yes. many Brownlows. Yeah, as Mason Cox says, uh, wait, don't tell me Gil just calls out votes for the next three hours, already bored. Um, <laughs> is I it hope Mason doesn't come a cropper this week. That's, yeah. that's right. Media Street week. Very cocky. What's it like? Talk us through the night. Is it, is it as slow and tiresome? Is it, it is. Is it a bit of excitement? It is without doubt one of the most enjoyable, fantastic <laughs> nights of the year. Are you kidding? I love the brown oh line. Do you wear I am riveted shoes? by every round. Sorry? Do you wear comfortable shoes? Oh, you get to well, sit, don't you? for me, uncomfortable, but compared to every other yes, young woman okay. in the room, really baggy. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, um, look, it's great. I mean, it's all for walking in because, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are and how happy you are in your own skin and what a great family you have. You do look at you know, Jesse Murphy and go, oh, I wish I could wear a pink dress like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I never could have worn a pink dress like that. Um, look, it's so, everyone's there. All the clubs are there. If you get a good table, it's fantastic. We got a good table this year. We did a sweep without being cruel. I mean, it was a bit of a boring result. Everyone was expecting it. He did speak very well, Tom Mitchell. I had him in the sweep. That was fun. But we, Brendan and I, we study the form. You know, they give you mm. a big menu with the 12 favourites Angus Brayshaw, funnily enough, wasn't on that tour favourite. And um, we go through every round and if they're going to get a vote, there's a big flame. And if they might get a vote, there's a question mark or there's nothing. So if you get three with a question mark or two votes with a nothing, go, ooh. (laughs) No, no, it's riveting. I mean, and Bruce, I love Bruce McAvaney. They always do stuff wrong. They always get some of the way they present present things <laughs> Retiring wrong. Retiring someone early. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. was hysterical. <laughs> I honestly said to Brendan, I'm losing my touch. I completely miss Michael. We should tell you retiring well, of course. And, you know, he go getting up with his heart beating a thousand oh, minutes yeah. per second. Oh, that's so cute. So, um, no, I find it, I find it fascinating. Fascinating in the players who should get votes and don't. And then at the end, Brent, it's always, come on, we're going, we're going to, we're not kicking on tonight. And it's always great to kick on because there was, it was a particularly good near punch up this year up in the bar between. A former a, a an <laughs> AFL all, coach. We're all sitting here on the edge of our AFL seats. Co- I wasn't there, so it's second hand. But it's an AFL coach still coaching who once coached another club, being bailed up by a former player oh. a, who was blind, oh. abusing him for not playing him in a certain grand final, and saying that's the reason you know we lost. Oh. I mean, oh, all that stuff. Is great, and well, it's where a lot of yeah. schools are settled too. I mean, I think Tex Walker and I made the peace over, you know, ten thousand champagnes. Or <laughs> my part. I think he was on something else, probably beer. But um, no, it's. I mean, can you imagine? It's it's football's night of nights. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's but don't you think it is? Don't you all watch yes. it with it? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. we're absolutely obsessed by it. But we're I'm not amazed we're you're not invited. Yet. Oh, as oh, in no, we don't no. even get invited to the AFLW launch. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, seriously, we don't seriously. even get through the door yeah. in anything. Carolyn but, Wilson. Three votes. Yeah, <laughs> I did get to party with the VFL and the VFLW Hawthorne teams, who both won on the weekend, which was extraordinary. Oh, amazing. Back, a was. new, a new kind of back to back. We like to call it. And I realised because the game finished at two. Um, by six o'clock, I was already cooked. <laughs> oh. And I looked 
at my watch and went, I cannot leave at six o'clock. Like, my kids are still awake. I don't want to get home to my family. So, Emma, that's yeah. disgraceful. Well, <laughs> there, was, there was a, a well-known footy journo of the female variety who I think had a very big night on the tubes. Nothing, you know, really untoward, but had an absolute blinder. I mean, it is, it's a massive night. It is, a, and all you know, there were CEOs oh. up there, there were coaches, oh, everyone's. It. Everyone's googling I, right now, trying to get these people. I feel like Same. we're going to play the best game of Guess Who. Once I'm, you leave, we're going to write down all. I'm going to be on the on the Google all night. Yep. Can I say it would be remiss of us not to mention this because you mentioned Caro Tom Mitchell was the winner, and he was for many people the, the standout favourite, but Steel Sidebottom came second, and I just want to just note that this is not the biggest accolade he's won in his career. In 2010, I don't know if you've all heard this, but he won the International Name of the Year competition. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, it was a public vote, right? So I you could vote that. for who, and he won. Google it, it's a real thing. And these are some of the people that Steel Sidebottom beat for International Name of the Year. <laughs> he beat somebody called Spontaneous Gordon. Oh, no. Somebody... Well, that's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Gordon's are spontaneous. <laughs> what are you talking about? I know. I've the spontaneous as parents were trying to try to lift spontaneous up. No Jay Nimson. <laughs> no. And no. and I kid yes. you not, Starzan, sort of like Suzanne. Stars and stripes, oh. and still one, still one. That's what amazing. an achievement! I still sometimes call him side still bottom by mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but he, we all he, do. What, he, what a final series he's had! Yeah. Amazing. Can I ask you just one other question, Cara? Talking about trends in footy and trends as a woman in footy. I mean, one of the increasing pressures for your industry is the the kind of whole fake news theme that we see yep. developing, and the way that media are being con- continually chipped away at, and there's kind of an eroding trust perhaps in in media or conf, public confidence in media how is that affecting you and your work and in in footy is it is it a thing for you um i i think it's good for people like me because i really you know despair i think i've spoken with you guys about this before but you know this absolute propensity now to go to media managers to be given the story by a media manager given the spin by the media manager and boy did people try that on me this year particularly with the Adelaide story also with the Sam Powell Pepper the original Sam Powell Pepper story not that rather grubby thing that happened last week but um so because I can ring other people in the industry like coaches and CEOs and presidents and that's what every journo should be able to do I think that helps I think that there is a hunger out there for the real story and for that reason and I'm please don't think I'm putting myself above others but the really good investigative reporters who are still working full-time for the age which is my paper where I'm not full-time anymore people are desperate to read what they've got to say I mean even um, the front page of the age story about the leaked email regarding um, Emma Alberi Mm. which, you know, just put everything in a bit of a new light. Yeah. And it's certainly been leaked by Michelle Guthrie's supporters. But mm-hmm. you go, wow, you know, the chairman told the CEO he had to sack this incredibly respected journo over – look, I can't even – hardly anyone ever read that economic assessment mm. that she wrote, but I certainly would never have read it. It became a story because Malcolm Turnbull cracked it. I, I think there might be one vague error she made. It was corrected very quickly. Mm. The absolute way that they sort of rounded on her was so disgraceful so disgusting and you know I really felt that you know the ABC should have protected her more but now we hear that maybe Michelle did do more to protect her than Mm -hmm. we originally Mm -hmm. thought I mean she certainly wasn't prepared to sack her so 
I, I think it works the other way no. as well. And who knows when Donald Trump finally goes, maybe <laughs> um, maybe that trend will end as well. Caro, just going back to Brownlow quickly, I found this. Um, I'm not going to ask you about the dresses. Where this year, I found myself really hanging on who was going to win the community, the Jim Steins Award. Yep. And I've wondered whether, obviously the work that we do here is a lot of it is in the outer, it's not on the field. And your work is often, oh, it's a combination, but you speak really about what happens during in games a lot rooms. more than we do too. Oh, yeah, yeah a bit more. Um, I think you know a bit more about the stats and facts than we do. To be honest. <laughs> we just kind of brush over them. But um, do you think Hall of Fame and awards that have a, a look at what has been a contribution to the game should always consider what's happened off the field or should it only ever be on the field? That's a really difficult question. Well, I certainly will rail for the rest of my life to keep the Brownlow best and fairest. I mean, there is absolutely no way you could have... I mean, Andrew Gaff obviously didn't win and didn't get close in the end, but you couldn't have him winning Mm -hmm. the Brownlow. And, And even if you've been suspended for one week, I really like that rule. And I think that that will always act as a deterrent to really ugly football acts on the field. Um, I, gee, it's a difficult one. I, the Hall of Fame selection committee, which I sat on for many years, I mean, I can say now I really argued against Gary Ablett going into the Hall of Fame. I just kept saying, but Alicia Horan, she died. You know, this mm. young girl, he could have saved her. Maybe, you know, according to the coroner's report, he did nothing. Maybe he was not in a position, an emotional position to do so. But how her family must regard football, knowing that they put this man into the Hall of Fame, um, is just terrible. So I certainly think the Hall of Fame should continue to take. It doesn't mean if you've been to jail, like I think John Nichols did, but then, you know, you serve your time and you come out. It doesn't mean that everyone who's done something wrong is not eligible, but I think there are some acts that you just have to go, nah, mm. nah. And, and I think, but, but I love the fact that Jim Steins, who, you know, I think he did a lot, you know, in the end at Melbourne that wasn't great. I mean, mm. he was president when they were tanking and that, that was a terrible, mm. terrible misfortune for the young men and their families who had to watch their kids being put into positions to deliberately lose. I mean, it was awful what happened, but he did so much good and this is a perfect award for him really. And the fact that players now really try to win it and their clubs get them up. I thought Jared Harborough would have been an mm. equal, equally good winner. You know, I love what Ben Brown does. So all of the Neville nominees Jenner were... Too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were fantastic. It's actually become hotly contested. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. it's, you know, everyone's doing such good work. It's it's really hard to see who's going to win it, mm. which so, I think is a lovely change. So another huge accolade is being asked to um, give the Andrew Ollie lecture, which is a big black tie Sydney media event. Yes. Caro... I know. <laughs> Have you written that? What? No, yeah. what are you going to wear? <laughs> are you joking? I'm a journo. It's September. Um, it, yeah, well, it's at the end of October. I've got a couple of ideas about outfits. I've got a lot of ideas about what I want to say. It hasn't all been put down yet. I mean, I mean talking for between 30 and 40 minutes is a, a long time. Yeah. I did it. I think some of you were at the, yeah, um, the Deacon, Deacon Edge one. Yeah, the, yeah, mm-hmm. the um, David Parkin oration. And um, that was, I mean, you actually, your voice starts to sort of, and, you know, I love talking, but um, I was having to sip water at the end of it. And, you know, no questions, just straight at you. Andrew Ollie is, he was always an absolute idol of mine. I mean, he, as Corrie Perkin, my friend from our Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast, said the other day, <laughs> Great podcast. When, when Andrew Ollie 
came on TV, you just knew you were in safe hands. He was such an incredibly good presenter and he was such an icon and this work he did, particularly on Four Corners, you know, but going back to this day tonight. So I think you need to acknowledge the person whose name you are speaking in, you know, you're honouring. But then I think obviously being a woman and being a woman in a largely all-male industry, obviously I have to address what's going on in the world at the moment with the Me Too movement. I have to address some more personal anecdotal stuff that's happened to me. I have some very strong views about the AFL industry and women and how they've mishandled it at times and how they've been good at times. But because it is a largely Sydney audience... I know I know it's you know uh, there'll be a lot of people mm. there from Melbourne and there will be AFL people there but you've really got to generalize it a bit so that's going to be an interesting um yeah, dynamic right. how I actually managed to do that I think you need to be a bit lighthearted too because it's not all serious you know crack a few gags and hopefully go down <laughs> I don't know if the Tigerland one will really resonate <laughs> resonate in Sydney but but I also think that they want to talk about the changing face of the media. And I certainly think I'm in a great position to talk about that. And I have some pretty strong views on that as well. So I think it's important to be a bit controversial. It's important to be at times lighthearted. It's also important to treat the event with the utmost respect it deserves. And when they rang, I just couldn't believe, you know, when I got the call earlier this year in March and my husband said, well, you know, you have to say yes. You can't say no. But your first response is, oh, I couldn't. I can't do this. I'll be hopeless. <laughs> but, of course, as the event gets closer and I feel a bit sicker, I think, no, I really want to do, I really want to do myself. I want to do football and the age and, and women journalists proud. Yeah. So let's hope that happens. Oh, you will. No doubt. So exciting. Congratulations. Mm. It's so a really thank big you. thing well, to I'm, be asked Yeah, to look, do. it's um, at the end of October. Um, it, it, it's tele- well, it's not televised, but it's live streamed. Yeah. And recorded, so uh, you really don't want to, you know, no, stuff you, it up. Don't, <laughs> stuff, don't stuff it up. And you won't be able to crib from previous speeches either because people will know, won't they? So well, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Well, I mean, you. obviously, some of, you know, my own history has to be the same because it hasn't changed. Yeah. But a lot has happened since I, la- I spoke for the Park and Oration. Mm. Yeah, and a lot has happened since we last had you on this podcast. Well, a lot's happened to you. <laughs> you. Oh, yes. I mean, that old thing. It's, that old been, thing. it's been unbelievable how you've, I mean, how have you all coped with it? I mean, you've be- we talked about this at the AFMA dinner the other night, but you've become so famous. Oh. <laughs> Caro, it's gone. It's totally gone to Emma's head. Yeah, you should totally see her she, way she Can't walks around. Oh, well, <laughs> Emma has become a bit of a minor celebrity. Minor. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, I mean, in the end, you know, anyone who works in AFL is a minor celebrity yes. because if you are a rugby league follower, you've never heard of us. But it is, I'm so proud of what you've all done and I'm really proud of the way that while you've been embraced by mainstream media like The Age and, and by the ABC and by the AFL, really, with your AFLW coverage, you don't seem to have changed at all. Uh, <laughs> no. We just have more microphones because yeah. the first time we saw you, we were all speaking to one. That's right. That's right. A we were passing thing. it around. But, yeah. how, but how have you coped with all the feedback? Because your listenership must have... We're it, very lucky. It's expanded in volumes and there are so many people around Australia who listen to you now and yeah. overseas. So who? You, I think you need a PA. <laughs> oh, are you we, volunteering, Karen? <laughs> certainly not. I think before we need a PA, we all need someone to help us with our laundry and yep. picking up the yes. kids yes. and stuff. Yes. It's all the, it's all the yes. multitasking that gets us. But mostly we just need to get through grand final and we are, um, we are all locked on who we think is going to win the grand final. We like to talk about omens here, so we're going to tell you what our... We have all brought an omen to the table of who's going to win the grand final, and we think that you might need to be the breaker. 
Oh. Are you ready? Oh, have have you locked? got a tip? I don't know if you've got a tip. Um, Kate, you go with your I'll go first. Okay. You have a think, Caro, while I share with you this omen from one of our listeners, Kate Burke. So she uh, messaged us to say that in 2006, this she actually told us this a little mm. while back too, Melbourne were in the finals, West Coast Eagles were up and about, Kate, uh, who sent us this message, was in Perth the week before the grand final. At that time, there was a major East Coast drought and now there's a major frost event and a drought. Uh, grain crops, crops were being cut for hay and there were record grain prices. And she was doing some speaking events on the same topic that she's doing now 12 years ago. So she has said for quite a while that it's going to be a West Coast flag given all of those factors. Mm. Lucy? Well, I see your Kate Burkoman and I raise <laughs> you and Andrew Giggs. <laughs> so Giggs, who we just love his omens and often go to them during the year. His is about teams that have met in a qualifying final who then go on to play each other in a grand final. In 2003, 2005, 6 and 15, where teams played in... And the result went one way in the qualifying final. It reversed in the grand final. So based on that, I'm going with Collingwood. Uh-oh. Nicole? Uh, now, a mate of mine, Jenny, who actually is quoting her colleague who has a bunch of these, but apparently since the draft began in 1981, any team that's recruited a player with the name Rioli has won a premiership within two years. So 1990, Willie I Senior. I like this one. Yeah. <laughs> I like this one. Willie so Senior um, was... He didn't play for the Hawks, but he was drafted by the Hawks, and we won in. Uh, sorry, they won we, in 1998. Dean Rioli, Essendon win in 2000, 2007. A gentleman by the name of Cyril uh, was drafted by the him. Hawks. Yeah, yeah, I remember him too. And the Hawks won in 2008, 2015. It was Daniel Richmond won in 2017, wow. and in 2016, Willie Junior was drafted to the West Coast Eagles. So that's where my money is. Not that I bet. I'm embarrassed. You've really done some work wow. on this girl. <laughs> and two quick things. Collingwood finished 13th last season, just yeah. like Richmond. And also the last time a Collingwood winger finished second in the Brownlow, which was Graham Wright in 1990, Collingwood went on to win the grand final. So mm. still still came second. And, and Alicia, the other one is, of course, that Damien Hardwick last year won Coach of the Year yes. the week before. And, and this year yeah. it's Nathan Buckley. Lovely. So... That would be the third. Look, I'm going to, and I, I mentioned this on Don't Shoot the Messenger, but my mum is big on omens. And she called me early yesterday morning, having walked around the tan, and she said, there is the most disgusting new um, annual planting outside that government <laughs> house drive. She said, it is bright blue and yellow. Oh. So, and I think it's an omen, Carol. That's what Ka- or Carrie, she calls me. So I'll go with my mum's omen. I'll go for West Coast. And I'm still genuinely torn about who's going to win this. But, yeah, I'll go the West Coast floral omen. Okay. <laughs> Bit boring on that. Emma? Well, yeah. my, Emma. mine speaks to that too, I think, because um, the West Coast Eagles have always won grand finals in the year of the dog, and it is Uh-oh. currently the year of the dog. <laughs> So I don't oh, even know who I can attribute that to. How many years to, of the dog com- are there? <laughs> every 12 years. They have them every time West Coast win a grand final. <laughs> but they were, so, so they had one two years apart in yeah. – um, 
1992 and 1994. That's what Confucius says. Wow. <laughs> Can't argue with that. And that's where we'll get the feedback, Carol. If that is, if any of our omens are incorrect, that's when we'll our listeners it. come to the fore and they say, you got that wrong, ladies. We are so thrilled that you could join us to Melee. Thank you so much. And good luck with the Andrew Ollie lecture. We will, some of us will be in the room and some of us will be live streaming it. Oh, that's so, a bit. That actually makes me feel a little bit sick with nerves. But oh, no. It's lovely to see you all again. Have a great grand final week. Are any of you going? Yeah, yeah. we'll be Two hands up. Lucy and I'll be there. Yep. I think. We'll, Can't keep us away. Well, I, I don't know if I'll see you there, but I, I'm trying to. I am getting excited about it. And when the ball is bounced, it's always, I mean, that is Christmas Day, isn't yeah, it? Isn't that it? Is, that's the day of the year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, great to see best. you all. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thanks very much, Caro. And congratulations on another great season. Kate and I recently spoke to football legend Brett Kirk. Brett is the host of a series of podcasts called Mindfully, which are a collaboration between the ABC and the Smiling Mind organisation. Series two focuses on mindfulness in sport and has interviews with people like Justin Langer, Nat Fife, and Carolyn Buchanan, who is a BMX bike world champion and Olympian. We caught up with Brett to have a chat about why mindfulness is important to him and how it can relate to sport, including how it can help with the immense pressure of a grand final. For the uninitiated, I wonder if you could just start off by telling us a little bit about what mindfulness is. We hear that that terminology all the time, but what actually does it mean? Uh, I guess mindfulness for me is about um, awareness. Um, It's about being present and um, it's being in a in a space where you're really in tune with what's going on around you and also in tune what's going on um, inside of you. How did you come across this way of, of being, Brett? Wow. Um, if you want to um, take in a bit of a story, I guess um, I came to Sydney um, to play for the Swans. I My flexibility was really poor, so I went to um, to off to yoga to make sure I improved that. During that time um, of yoga, the end of yoga classes was Shavasana, where you sort of lay and you sort of um, have to sit sit still for a little period of time. And I used to really struggle with that. Um, And it was sort of around a similar time, um, I lost a really close friend um, who was who back home when I was sort of a a teenager around 16, started to play senior country footy. um, And he was like, became a mentor. I was drawn to him like a moth to light. Um, I just loved the way um, this guy was and how he was around his family and what he stood for. And um, and I went off to Sydney and and during that time um, when I was sort of trying to find myself, I was in my sort of early 20s, I think males in their early 20s, you're getting tipped upside down and shaken mm-hmm. around. You're trying to find your way. And, um, yeah, and he passed away and it really shook me up. And um, so I sort of was in this space of, like, far out. I started to really ask questions around sort of who am I? Like, why am I here? Like, all these sort of spiritual-type questions. And I I didn't grow up um, in a religious family at all. Um so it was sort of, I was on this sort of path journey, I guess, where I was starting to do yoga, get interested in that um, and some of the philosophies behind it. And then just started to read about different things, about Buddhism and about different religions. And um, and then sort of, and through that space, um, I found, uh, I guess, meditation. And um, and it's been, yeah, I guess, a personal journey. Um, I didn't really get taught by anyone. I've just sort of... I've been self-taught. I've done a lot of reading, but just a lot of um, being in my own space. Um, and I've been 
probably on this path, I guess, for about sort of 15 years or so. And um, I have a pretty constant, uh, I guess, morning ritual that I do every day um, that I try to do every day that keeps me grounded and, and keeps me in a space where, um, yeah, in a crazy, crazy world with, a, um, yeah, I've got five kids and there's lots going on and I'm a busy job. So um, I'm just trying to find some space to be able to um, have some clarity. Mm. And Brett, I mean, obviously you came to it for for all of those reasons, in, including that really sad loss of your friend. Um, but I'm wondering whether then you used it or employed it in any way in your playing career. And if you can tell us a little bit about how, if at all, it, it helped you with your footy. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, there was, as I said, sort of through that my early 20s and I was probably, I was, a, I was a fringe player really in my first four four or so years at the, the Swans where um, um, I was playing a lot of reserves, um, had real, I, don't, I felt just like probably looking, reflecting back, uh, no real sort of um, direction, um, just trying to find my way a bit and not, and not a lot of guidance. And then um, once I started going this path, I sort of really understood about sort of um, being myself, I think for those early years, I was just trying to be something that I wasn't and just trying to fit in, which is, it tends to happen, um, especially at, I think at footy clubs early on. And then once I became more sort of my authentic self, I started to draw people to me. Um, I started to, I feel my, and it was, there was a lot of other things going on at the time. We had a change of coach and things with Paul Ruse taking over. Um, but there's no doubt, um, meditation through that period um i think it allows you to uh have clarity of thought and as we know um i know you guys are um really knowledgeable about footy but footy there's so many decisions that have to be made within a second or milliseconds sometimes and that, that happens for two hours and so physically and mentally fatigued um like emotionally you're charged so to be able to think clearly in, especially under times of fatigue or pressure is really important in our game. And I, there's no doubt I felt that, um, that helped. And I also felt that, um, through meditation, it sort of opens you up to asking questions of yourself, but also I think you develop a compassion for other people. Mm. Um, and I think that's where my probably, I don't know, I, I, not sure early days where anyone saw me in a leadership space, but um, there's no doubt through that period um, that grew and it grew with inside of me. And there's no doubt I felt in tune with people around me um, and then sort of was really uh, tried to understand people a lot more. And then you sort of can, I guess, temperature check and read the cues of different mm. body language and different things going on. So there's no doubt... Um, yeah, in a in a footy sense, in terms of decision making, um, thinking clearly, but also in a in a leadership sense about um, understanding people and having a lot more compassion for people. So I think yeah, I, could, I probably couldn't under, identify <laughs> one or two things, but there's lots of things that sort of transpired in that space that um, I think really helped me. One of the things you mentioned there, Brett, was um, you know one of the struggles, especially when you're a young footballer and coming into a and you know particularly an AFL club is the the idea or how you fit in and I wonder um, you know we've seen quite a change in the way that mindfulness is talked about and I would imagine that going into a team environment and talking about it now would be quite different to how it was back then. Um, did you talk about 
what you were sort of the benefits that you were finding of meditation and, and some of those different ways of, um, I guess, setting yourself to play with your teammates? Yeah, there's, there's no doubt. I think, um, as you said, like times have changed a fair bit. And um, yeah, I think as a, I was, and I was a little bit older when I came in, I was sort of around 21. So um, I was a little bit more mature, but still pretty immature. Um, but there's no doubt, I think, that trying to fit in space, um, yeah, it always happens. Um, I think, and in footy clubs, sometimes we, we wear these, these, I guess, an armour. So we mm. play, like, a, it's a really, um, a really physically demanding, um, it's like gladiatorial sport in, in a sense. And, um, but then there's this other side of it that where um, there's a a softness, I guess, of footy clubs and the care and the love for each other. So it's about, I guess, trying to, um, allow people to come in and just to be, be themselves about, they don't have to be anything else other than that. And, um, and it depends a lot on sort of your leaders and the, the key people inside your footy club to be able to, to drive that and to be able to create an environment that people feel safe in that space. Um, but yeah, there's no doubt mindfulness has come a long way. Um, you know, people practice it for hundreds, hundreds of years. Um, but I think it's slowly now in sport, people are getting understanding that hey, this can actually give us an edge. You know, um, if you're looking for the physical bucket in footy space, you know, guys are pushing the physical limits. Like, what else is the other space? Well, the other space is the mental side because we're all lovers of the game and like one week your team plays a certain way and it's unbelievable and then seven days later it's like far out where did the team from last week go so and that's that's the mental space like something happens that that transpires within those seven days that changes and it's nothing to do with the physical space so um, there's definitely I think um, big um, advantages that if you um, if teams take on that space but I guess as you were talking about Early days, yoga was was something that was like, oh, yoga, what's this? What are, we, you know, what are we doing this for? And then we tried to, I know at the Swans, it was like, it was compulsory initially. And then, you know, there was pushback. And so we tried to make it um, uh, optional. And in the end, yoga now is just part of, you know, part of doing weights or, you know, getting out in the track and training. So I think um, slowly by slowly, we'll see definitely um, it'll be a regular space in, in most probably sporting clubs and sporting institutions because um it definitely uh it definitely has great benefits not only um in the sport but just helps you um navigate your way through your everyday life as well Brett you were talking there about the edge that you think this practice can give teams and can give you and and we're now in the midst of the AFL men's finals series you obviously of course played um, many finals yourself including some grand finals and I wonder if um, if you feel that it gave you in times of intense pressure um, and stress a kind of clarity and calmness I mean did it did it assist you in dealing with the intensity of finals pressure oh no doubt no doubt I can um, it's funny I I really find it difficult to um, to remember back games and remember moments in games and different stuff but I can remember the grand final in 2005 I can really think be really clear about the morning of the grand final where I was in my hotel room and we stayed at the I think it was the Carlton Crest or something but I can remember the hotel room I can remember the the way the the bedroom was set I can remember the blinds and the, what was outside the window because 
I, this morning ritual that I do every day, um, it was an important thing that I did. So it's, it was a space I went to when in times of, you know, things mm. are getting a bit um, stressful or there's some anxious moments and stuff just to, you know, just to bring yourself back to the moment and um, understand that there's no need to, to burn sort of that nervous energy and, um, and to, to be able to stay in, stay in the present space. Um, so yeah, there's no doubt, I think, um, especially through finals where the expectations a lot higher, there's a lot more scrutiny around players and clubs and, um, everyone wants to perform. It's a space, um, I, I definitely think, um, you can, um, operate out of that, that can give you, a, um, an advantage and help. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So Brett, what recommendations would you give to either a team or to individuals who are, you know, completely at the start of their mindfulness journey, how would you suggest that they take those first few steps? Um, I get, I, I don't think you can sort of um, subscribe to someone to say, look, you should do this, this and this. Um, I've always found, as I sort of said earlier on, that's about a personal journey. So it's about sort of suggesting a few different things. Um, and it's not about sort of, you know, sitting cross-legged and, you know, burning incense and, you know, sitting for half an hour and it's just finding moments and, you know, you can, uh, like I sometimes just find a two-minute space where um, my my head feels like it's really busy and it's racing around and I can't really think clearly that I'll just take myself out of my office or whatever I'm doing and, you know, it might be just to sit outside and just feel the sunshine on my face, you Mm. know, just to, to bring me back to hang on, I just got to get back into this moment. I've, I'm, there's too much other stuff going on. So it's about um, finding the space, which can be anywhere from two minutes to, you know, 20 minutes or however long you've got. Um, there's so many different apps you can use out there. Um, Smiling Mind, which is um, uh, something that uh, I've been involved in for a long time. Um, it's it's, uh, it's an organization, non-for-profit, that is really trying to get... Um, meditation into the school curriculum um which i think it be yeah so valuable um mm. so thing things like that just to you can have guided meditations where someone talks to you if you, you find it you struggle to switch off or you can you know have some background music or um this is easy enough as just you know stopping and just like just concentrating on your breath you know listening to your breathing and feeling the the air through your nose and back out through your mouth for two minutes just to slow everything down again, reset, and then get going again. Um, yeah, so there's lots of different things to try and do. Um, but again, uh, it's, I think it's difficult to prescribe something to you know a whole mm-hmm. group of people mm-hmm. and saying this is how you should do it because um, I think it's best when you sort of you find your own way a bit and find, oh, this works for me and I'll try this and, oh, yeah, I really like this. Um, or it might be I just want to I just sit and listen to the birds or the waves or the, the wind in the trees or, or something like that. Well, for listeners who might be interested in learning more about it, you've got a new podcast called Mindfully. Um, just can you tell us a little bit about the podcast, Brett, and and uh, what it involves? Yeah, so Mindfully, I, Smiling Mind, who I've been involved with for a long time because um, I love what they do. Um, so they've they've teamed up. Um, with Audio Studios to put together um, this podcast and I was happily to put my hand up to, to host it um, just because 
I want other people to, you know, to to become enthusiastic about mindfulness and meditation because I think there's some great benefits. Um, yeah, so it's a four-part series. There's already the first part um, has already come out with around work. The second part around sport, which I know a lot of your um, listeners uh, are very into, so it's coming out soon. Um, I think this week possibly. So. I interviewed Nathan Fife, which I had um, a lot to do with when I was over with Fremantle as an assistant coach, um, and his journey on about meditation and mindfulness. I spoke to Justin Langer, um, the Australian cricket coach, who again, um, on my uh, space over in WA, I you know the universe put us together, and um, he's been practicing meditation for. Um, over 20 years he talks about it as him as a player and I'm sure now as a coach and then this wonderful wonderful um, lady by the name of Caroline Buchanan um, Australian BMX world champ um, she's amazing she's like Wonder Woman I and all these interviews uh, if if you get on and have a listen you'll just sit, hear it in my voice the the joy that I, I have of talking to these people and um, because they're all sort of really passionate about um, what it's done for them and and hopefully you know listening to them other people will go oh I might have a go at this um, so yeah so the podcast is runs for 15 20 minutes where you'll get a, um, some parts of those conversations that I have with those three people and then um, and and Dr. Addie Wooden who's from Smiling Mind and then on the back of that is four different types of meditations for people to be able to try It gives us the greatest pleasure on the Outer Sanctum to welcome into the Sanctum a man who we have adopted as our own. He is Hi, the, Dad. the <laughs> VFL Premiership Coach of the Hawthorne Football Club, Patrick Hill. Welcome. Thank you Yay. very much. We can't believe you I, have a voice. I, I think I actually invited myself in. <laughs> you actually did. You totally did. Each one of us, just to make sure <laughs> yeah. you asked us all. It's, it's a bit awkward because we, we couldn't say no. Could we? <laughs> we would never say no to you, Patrick. The win on the weekend meant so much to us that I can't even put into words what it means to us, but it must mean so much to you, how you're travelling with it. Uh, um, someone asked me today, I think um, Shelley Ware said on, on Twitter, you're still on cloud nine, absolutely, because there's just so many great stories and part of the fun of winning a premiership is sitting back and watching people. Um, I probably thought I'd be more emotional on the day, I wasn't, I was just having so much fun watching people and um, you know, seeing Meg Hutchins and Lou Watton crying mm. uh, when they when they embraced 14 years of playing together. Um, Chantella Pereira and her story and where she's come from to win the medal. And then I saw these three or four um, beautiful women in the stands that all had tears <laughs> in their eyes. And I was lucky enough to be able to give you all a hug. And um, that, that was, that's a beautiful part of it. And I've you know spent two days reflecting and just looking at photos on the internet. And that's that's the real joy. And that's why you coach, I think. Paddy, one of the things that we heard you say after the game was that um, the women of that club had taken a broken man and made him whole again. Yep. What did you mean by that? Um, look, 2000 and at the end, oh, most of 2015, I, I got the job at Frankston and we didn't have a win. Um, it was a very tough year. We lost a lot of players and the club sort of went backwards a bit under under my tutelage and, and you know, my first year as a senior coach. Uh, but what probably people wouldn't have known in the background, my father got cancer that year. Mm. Um, 
and I spent the whole year, basically every Wednesday night was the only time I had off. I'd do opposition analysis, but I'd do it in the car, traveling up to Bendigo to see him while he was in hospital. Um, and at the end of that year, he, he passed away on the 9th of January. So going into my second year at Frankston, and then I lost my grandmother very shortly afterwards. Um, we had, a, we had a, a reasonable year on the field, but, but then it ended really badly, and it mm. ended badly for a lot of people. And by the end of that year, um, I, I felt like I was a broken coach. I felt like I probably didn't even want to do it anymore. Um, there's too much heartache involved in it. And then to go and, and have the, the great Hawthorne Football Club welcome me back in um, with open arms, and then to meet these beautiful women and to be associated with them and just find the joy in coaching, and that—that's—that's that's what they've done for me. And I, I'm, you know, what I've, what I've done now is found a purpose in life. I think, and I think that's the most important thing. You need to have a purpose, and if you've got a purpose and a reason to get out of bed every morning, um, then you, you're going to be a lot happier person. And I think I wrote at the end of, um, you know, six months ago. Oh, when, when my birthday in July that. That um the last year's been great because I've learned how to be happy again and just enjoy wow. life and that's all that's all from uh, coaching these women. Coaching seems to be one of those jobs that you can't just leave it. It's not nine to five. No. And you know we've seen images this week of what it's meant to Nathan Buckley and to his yep. kids. And um, I think that kind of hits us all hard because you know we know what we you know say about football and. What I've liked seeing from you is the involvement of your family. Yep. Mm-hmm. What's that meant for you all? Um, geez, you're going to get me emotional again now. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's meant a lot. And I, I love that that scene of Nathan Buckley's son hugging him, and, mm. and I think I put something out on Twitter that it's you know there's a person behind the coach, um, and there's a family behind the coach, and they they ride every bump mm-hmm. along the way, and. Well, I talk about how hard it was for me during that 2015, 2016. I, you know, I got a beautiful wife at home and two kids that they were going through every part of that as well. And they just want to help you, but they can't because they're not there a lot of the time and they sacrifice a lot. And I, I couldn't tell you how many birthdays and anniversaries and that I've missed because I've always seemed to be a training when they're on or I'm too busy to do it when, when it comes around. So they do sacrifice a lot. And, you know, 16 years I've been coaching now. Um, my son's 17 years old, so basically his whole life, Dad's been been away coaching. And to be able to involve them, and again, you know, the Hawthorne Football Club has allowed me from day one to have my son with me everywhere. And it, whether that was at Box Hill, or he's always been on the journey with me. My daughter's done stats for the last four years now, so that's how we get involved. And and. Tara this year, she's been coming, my wife, and, and setting up the magnets early. So she comes to start every game, she sets up, sets up the magnets. So I, I sort of made sure that she had a role on, on match day this year. And 2013, when we won the VFL Grand Final, she didn't sort of get to be involved in it. She sort of had to sit in the stands. But this year, she was out there on the ground and tears running down her face. And that's what I wanted for them. It also meant a lot to your mum, who's been riding all these bumps with you. And it's a really funny thing because, you know, we're maybe not the same age, but yeah. to see a parent, an older parent, invested so heavily, yeah. it looked like it meant a lot to her too. Yeah, absolutely. She's um hasn't always been good for mum and um, she's had her up times and down times. And, um, you know, as, as a single woman now, you know, in... Her uh, 70s, I think she's. I have to do a quick addition. We're born on the same. We're born on the same day, so I'm 46. She's 23. Four, 69. Um, you know, she she lives alone now, and she she needs something in life. And again, you need a purpose. What's what's your reason for getting up in the morning? And she's found that through supporting this team as well, and it's meant a lot to her.
Uh, Patty, Lucy mentioned earlier that Nathan Buckley obviously has you know a big week ahead. So does Adam Simpson. I'm really interested in what it's like to be a coach preparing a team on grand final day. Yep. And we've heard a lot about famous match day speeches by coaches. So Clarko's shark when he drew the shark <laughs> on the <laughs> on the uh, whiteboard. Very uh, Kennedy's pay the yeah. price. Damien Hardwick's Mount Everest speech last year. You told me that you wrote just three words, three words. on the whiteboard. What yeah. were they, and, I, and I, what was I, the I have message? To credit, I think that's uh, taken out of Damien Hardwick's playbook. Yeah. Um, look, we had a really emotional day on Saturday. I said most of my speaking on Saturday, um, and I struggled to get through Saturday because we, we spoke about our whys and why we wanted to play. And some of the girls told some really amazing stories on why they were playing the game and who they were playing it for. Um, and then I sort of tried to touch on my whys and I probably couldn't quite get through them and I spoke about my wife and how I wanted her to enjoy it and um, I wanted it, all my coaching and the sacrifices that I'd had to be worthwhile and that's why I wanted to win this flag. And then I had to tell the girls that I loved them, I trusted them, but you're on your own. I'll be here to support you, but tomorrow you just got to do this yourself because you know and there's nothing you could possibly do tomorrow that's going to disappoint me. So just go and play without fear. So then when we get, got in on Sunday, I wrote three words and they were um, excitement, resilience and love. And that was it. And that's all we spoke about. And we just let them go. And right. probably the biggest learning uh, for me as a coach this, this week, and it's been a great learning experience, is sometimes you just got to back right off and you just got to let them, let them do their thing. And I had trust in them that they could do that. And, and they executed perfectly. And it's probably the least amount I've been involved in any game this year. <laughs> Wow. And we probably the last two weeks, I think we added up the other night, we spent less than two hours on the track in two weeks. We did a, a little bit of scenario stuff and what would happen in this situation. Um, but then come game day, it was the shortest speech I've done all year. Um, probably I, was, I had him there for 10 minutes, but we watched a video because uh, we were far better chance of getting through the video, which was very emotional as well than me trying to speak it. So I just let them watch this video and... Uh, I, I watched it the day before and I actually had a few tears watching what this What was video. the video? It was just sort of, it was a little bit of a mo motivational video that I asked a young man named Dan in the Hawthorne Media to put together for me and um, it was a little bit about the journey and just some key phrases and then right at the end it just said family and that's that's the thing we treasure the most. So Paddy, we sat down earlier in the year, you and I sat down yep. in April to talk about the journey that was about to come and, and also what women's footy meant to you and why you were doing it, yeah. What, why this was something that was so dear to your heart. Um, and you said to me on that day that there was more that you would like to say one day about what women's footy was about and yeah. and particularly what, what does this win mean to you and what what's the kind of greater significance for um, you? Again, I'm probably going to come back to the purpose and, and I, I, I learned during my Frankston days that if you just trace wins your whole life, then you're going to be very... Um, very upset and very grumpy because it doesn't always happen. And you have to have a, a reason why you're coached and, and, and a belief. And and for me, finding this program and finding women in sport um, has opened my eyes to so many things, um, so many issues that I didn't know existed because as I lived in my white male world, um, thinking that I was a hard done by person at times. Um, and what, I, what I've sort of come to the conclusion is that through listening to, to people like yourselves, uh, you can make a real difference if you include women and you treat them with, with equality and fairness. And I, I probably wanted to go further on the, um, on the podium the other day and, and talk about the, the 35 plus women that have been killed at the hands of a partner. And that just needs to stop. Um, and if we, can, if we can 
somehow stop that through sport and, and through the program that I'm running and the program that everyone's running, how much better of a world are we going to have? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's very easy to get up in the morning. It's very easy to, to work my day job and then go to Hawthorne and do this when you know you've got a bigger purpose. And, and I, know, I know that I'm chipping away and I'm probably only chipping it away at a, a few people, but you can't change the world. You can change your part. And if it changes a few attitudes, then that's great. And I'll just have to, I'll just have to take that. But I think it, I think it'll definitely work, and I think it's important. <laughs> Patrick, <laughs> now we're really crying. You're actually like the actual patron saint of this podcast now, <laughs> which is a weird thing to grant that to a white man. I have to say, because <laughs> we're okay with but that. But you, you're back in the trend of the, of the things that we usually talk about in here. Thank you so much. You've given us the greatest experience of our life. We don't want to make this too Hawthorne centric, but we really felt like. Um, it was a real win for the dreams that we all had as young girls, seeing those girls run out in those Hawthorne colours on the weekend. And it's funny because a lot of our listeners, as much as they hate Hawthorne, they say that they were barracking for the girls because somehow we've given them a window into the fact that even Hawthorne people are real people. Too. <laughs> <laughs> and you do that every day. Thank you so much for sharing the win with us and nice. sharing the season with us as well. Um, this is our last podcast for the season. There's been so much that has happened. We can't even run through the roll call of it all but the one thing I do want to recognise is that Felicity Race um, dropped off during the season um, with podcasting because she had you know single mummy duties to do and um, we respect that as well and we thank her for her service thanks to all the guests thank you to everybody who gets in touch with us we've created a family here and not just us you guys and we love continuing the conversation on socials and we'll be doing that over the summer because you know the stuff that we talk about never lets up we already did tips with caro but before we get to last business lucy um you have been doing some movie themes to tell us who will win the games over the final series? Have you got something for us today? I do. And you will recall that Collingwood and West Coast did meet in week one of the finals. And as Rocky Four predicted, West Coast was victorious. You'll also recall that Rocky made a declaration at the end of the fight, which indicated that we may not have seen the end of Collingwood. So it turns out that the movies know people. <laughs> it's a real thing. So we're down to two. This week we will watch as West Coast and Collingwood battle it out to be crowned premiers of 2018. What can we turn to, dear listener, to help us predict the outcome? The answer lies in the eighth instalment of the Rocky film series, the movie Creed Two. Again, this film is a classic clash of East versus West, but now with more history because it isn't Rocky fighting, but Adonis Creed, who is the son of Apollo. Creed, with Rocky by his side, takes on Ivan Drago. And in doing so, Rocky and Adonis will confront their shared legacy. They will question what is worth fighting for, and they will discover that nothing is more important than family. So who wins? Well, unfortunately, Creed 2 isn't due to be released until November this year. So like the grand final winner, the outcome is still a mystery. (laughs) On the 24th of October, if you're in Melbourne at 6pm in the city, the Victorian Law Foundation is hosting a forum about sport and community, including law and um, it's going to have me, Dr. Bridie O'Donnell, Rob Starry and Professor Russell Hoy. Um, it's free and you can get tickets online. So I hope as many of you that um, are interested in those issues can come along as possible. We're going to talk about discrimination and, um, 
drugs in sport, a whole range of oh, things. Sounds really fun, like <laughs> a chick flick. <laughs> kind of like real a, a real girl's night out. Yeah. Um, I just want to do a little shout out to Kate Marnie, who has just been awarded a Churchill Fellowship. She is going to be travelling worldwide to investigate best practices in um, sports science and sports medicine care of the female athlete. So I think it'll be really interesting to see what comes of that. Nicole, you got anything? Um, I just want everyone noting the fact that there was a, an out of bounds in the boundary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> She's still going no, on about the, that. West Coast game, the, the um, Melbourne player, um, Neil Bullen, and it was pay, paid as play on, and so it's a real thing, and I'm not going to... Don't at me. called it. Don't at me. Are you going to protest on City Hall <laughs> after this? Is that where you're taking this? That's where I'm going. To the top. Petition starting now. Taking it to the top. Alita? Just want to say a big shout out to Ollie and all the staff here at the ABC and all the support that we have and all the people that have reached out to us. It means so lot. It's such a lot to us and um, yeah, just thanks for having us on and listening to us guys. I, we really love hearing from you. Patrick Hill? Oh, I want Kate's help to stop the term the big dance. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> yes. Okay. Patrick. Let's talk about that. Well, we have been talking about it. I know that you're upset about it and so are we. Uh, I think... It's it the used grand to be a final. cheeky little saying. It's a cheeky little saying that you say occasionally. Now every single person mm. refers to it. It's, I, I haven't heard the term grand final in three weeks. I know. Uh, Emma, you Sorry, Luke. Would you prefer pointy end? Pointy end? I don't mind pointy end. <laughs> Just do something different, something new. It's like No dancing. 18. Yeah, no I don't like the big dance. I also don't like silverware. And I, I don't know if that's controversial in this I think this it's because we had to polish so yeah, much. Yeah, it's because back yeah. in the day when mum and dad said get the silverware out, it meant the good cutlery and Lucy, Felicity and I would have to polish it for a dinner party and the only payoff would be waking up the next day and there may be one after dinner mint left in the little tiny brown <laughs> sleeve on the table that we could rummage oh, through yes. among all the about it. yeah detrit- detritus of the of the night before but that's the only thing i like about silverware i like the trophy and i like the grand final well, you know, oh. Paddy, we're going to have to call this podcast the Big Dance now. Just <laughs> yes. Yes. yes, yes, there it is. It's got to be our title. Dedicate it to you. Um, well, thank you so much for being with us this season, and um, we will be back because I don't, I don't know. They can't I mean, get rid of us. I don't think they can. No, like, no. I just think it would be totally hashtag. They don't know we're here. They're like a stain yeah. now. <laughs> just a bad. Can't wash it out. Can't wash it out. <laughs> thank you so much for being with us. I guess there's only one thing left to say ladies. Go footy! Now, for anyone who's still with us, there is a little cheeky something special. Just make sure your kids turn off their ears. This is an adults-only commentary watch coming to you from Kate Sear. It has language, course themes, and a lot of innuendo. So throughout the year, as you all know, I've been compiling a rude and kinky version of Commentary Watch, which I've saved up for the end of the year. Because I've noticed actually that there's a lot of innuendo and sexuality oozing out of the commentary box. So there's a lot of arse action in footy. Because <laughs> how many times have you heard them say I how many times? thought that's what innuendo meant. <laughs> I True. always thought that's what keep your end up means in the <laughs> well, Carlton exactly. theme song. And so, and so does it, uh, and also when they say that somebody's had a second crack. <laughs> what, about, what about that time when we heard BT say that he's gave him, he gave him a sniff? Oh, Ew. That's a bit wrong, isn't it? Gross. Nudity is a constant theme, though, in footy uh, commentary. Like when you hear that, you know, he's showed a bit <laughs> or that he got caught with one out. 
Oh. Which sounds a bit wrong. And last week, in a most unfortunate moment, we heard that a player had his ball on the ground, which I imagine is a bit painful. I think that's one of those wardrobe malfunctions. <laughs> True. <laughs> now, as long-time listeners to this podcast will know, I'm obsessed with technical breaches of the rules and the unlawful use of aids. So like when a player gets on his bike or gets on his skates or somebody's using a bread basket to, to mark the ball. <laughs> but did you know that there's a, there's a bondage variation on this? As when a back man is dominating a full forward and we hear that he's got him on a tight leash. It's oh. quite kinky. <laughs> and when the full forward finally gets going, it's usually because the back man has let him off the chain. <laughs> there's poetry in the kinkiness sometimes, though, and it's quite romantic, as when a commentator notes that he rode him beautifully there. <laughs> it's not always so romantic, though. Sometimes footy is painful, as when it's painful at both ends. Mm -hmm. And there's not much worse than when we hear a team is copping it at both ends. That reminds me of a recent trip to Thailand that I had where I ate something that did not agree with me. (laughs) Well, I hope this didn't happen to you in Thailand. You know when someone sprays it across the face? (laughs) Enough. Out of bounds. Out. All right. Let's give it a good ride and enjoy the off-season. 